Hi, She 2.0 listeners. This is Ramona. And I'm Jack. How are you, Jack? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really, uh, I'm really excited about our episode because um, we talk so much with experts. And today we have our another guest who's actually like a real woman going through real menopause, but she's a little different, isn't she? Yeah, so Mallory is someone who uh, suffers from premature ovarian insufficiency. And basically what that means is a woman's ovaries stop working normally before they even turn 40. Um, So there's a lot of reasons why women suffer from this. And Mallory is going to share her story with us. it's pretty interesting. I feel like a lot of our listeners might um, get something out of this, those who may be suffering with this and don't even know that they are. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Ramona, like it's so fascinating talking to Mallory. She's very positive and very enterprising, but she definitely is in a different situation than most of us because, you know, at her age, she's so young. Women in her age group are talking about having babies, not wrapping it up. So, you know, she probably like finds it so frustrating not to have that understanding. Even women our age don't really understand perimenopause. So in her, her peer group, you know, she's really struggling to get the empathy and understanding because women just don't have it on their radar. No, I really enjoy talking to her considering she's had quite a few health challenges in, in her short time on this earth. I thought she was really um, well-spoken about how um, her life has been affected by perimenopause so far and the challenges uh, being younger uh, and dealing with this was really interesting. So I hope uh, everyone gets something out of this one. So have a listen to Mallory McGrath. Hi, Mallory. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, Ramona. Hi, Mallory. Nice to see you guys. Hey, Jackie. (laughs) Nice to see you guys, too. I'm so happy to be here coming to you live from my walk-in closet. Like, Mallory's not even kidding. Um, When you see the thumbnail of this podcast, you will see that Mallory is indeed sitting in a closet hiding from her family. That's okay. There's good (laughs) acoustics, right? Totally. Yep. Very good. I'm hoping it comes across. I'm hoping it's worth putting myself in this space. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love it. That's like a panic room. Yeah, seriously. All of Mm -hmm. us need one right about Mm -hmm. now, don't we? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're excited to have you today because I feel like your story is going to resonate with many of our listeners. So today we're talking about, and you can tell me if I've got the right acronym, it's POI. Primary, primary ovarian insufficiency. Is that correct? Pre, uh, premature ovarian or premature. insufficiency. Um, okay. it's, mm-hmm. it's also sometimes known as PF, premature ovarian mm-hmm. failure, um, but mm-hmm. they're the exact same thing. Just different physicians use different words. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So Mallory, the reason um, we're really excited to have you as one of our real women sharing real experiences is your experience is somewhat unique to our, you know, when we talk about menopause, uh, it is often related to aging. Uh, One of the stigmas that we hope to slowly break down. Um, But your story isn't related to aging. So I think it's important to know that, you know, we really do have to stay in tune with our bodies to keep ahead of what's going on. Um, can you share a little bit about, you know, your experience and what's going on with you? 
Sure. Yeah. I um, was diagnosed with POI uh, when I was 30 half. That's important, I think, when you're talking about this process at this age. <laughs> so I was 32 sure. and a half when I was diagnosed and I'm, I'm just over 34 now. And um, the way I found out was uh, I just, I had a couple weird periods, which was not normal for me. Um, I've always gotten my period every 23 days since it started. Probably should have been an indication to my doctor early on that something wasn't right. Um, but the solution back when I was in high school was any weird thing with a period, just put them on the birth control pill and everything will fix it. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. true. Um, which, in an essence, it did. I mean, it was a Band-Aid fix and it kept me from getting pregnant. So great. But as soon as I went off the pill when I was ready to conceive, um, uh, yeah, that was when everything back to that 23-day sort of really weird cycle. And um, after having a baby, that's when all the symptoms sort of started to kick in. And it wasn't until, yeah, I was 32 that my naturopath suggested we do the Dutch test which is a dried urine test that you like do at home and mail away and you get so much information for a lot of money. Um, But it's very informative. (laughs) And we were able to see um, uh, not, not just that my estrogen was low, which is what POI indicates. So POI is when your ovaries stop functioning really prior to the age of 40. Um, And so you're not producing eggs regularly and you're not producing um, estrogen. So my estrogen was low, but my progesterone and testosterone were low as well. The testosterone wasn't too bad, which is is a good thing. Testosterone is typically like the last hormone to really start messing up as you're going through the menopausal process. But my estrogen and progesterone were both incredibly low. So then I did some further regular blood tests, which uh, all the AMH or whatever they are, those ones, I forget them all the time, but I did those and it confirmed not just that I had POI, but that I was actually going through perimenopause already. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. So just because you have POI doesn't mean you go through menopause. Uh, They don't necessarily go together. Just in my case, I'm one of the people that they are happening at the same time. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when you talked about your periods prior to giving birth, like when you were on the birth control pill, so Mm -hmm. can you talk about that a little bit? So you felt like, you know, in hindsight, were you feeling like you might have been experiencing some red flags then um, that you were maybe experiencing symptoms of POI like a lot earlier than you had even been diagnosed? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a doctor or medical professional by any means, but I mean, a lot. if you go on POI support groups, a lot of the really, really, and I mean really young girls getting diagnosed with this, like the girls that should have gotten their period and haven't yet, mm-hmm. um, they're being put on the birth control pill because of the amount of estrogen it gives you. So it gives you that, that little estrogen boost. So if I look back to those few years I had my period before I was maybe two or three years before I was actually put on the pill, I was horribly painful, um, really right. heavy and mm. came every 23 days. Like, that's unfair. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I want, I want those extra couple of days. Um, <laughs> and that's, sh- I, I think 
that that should have been a pretty clear indication that something wasn't going right and we should have done some blood work. But as I said, at the time, it was just easier to just put young girls on the pill. And we didn't know all the negative side effects to being on the pill really at uh-huh. that time when I was in high school, that's like, you know, 2001 ish. Um, there wasn't a lot of info about the side effects to that. Um, and so then I was on it straight through until I wanted to have a baby. So when I was 28, I went off of it. So I was on it for like 14, 15 years. Wow. Right. Even with the information available when you're in your twenties and your teens, like I don't remember knowing too much about my own body. So I could not have predicted no. <laughs> anything. But what a lot of people don't know is think, that um, POI is, can be caused by a variety of things. So there's genetic yeah. diso- disorders, there's a low number of follicles, mm-hmm. there's autoimmune diseases. In my case, I had gone through chemotherapy and radiation. So I was put in early mm-hmm. menopause, uh, metabolic disorders. Can you talk about your health history? Were you experiencing any sort of health challenges in your life? this? Yeah, definitely. So POI, I know there's a lot of research going on in the world where they're trying to prove that POI is an autoimmune condition. Um, There's a lot of schools of thought that it is because having autoimmune conditions is one of the top three reasons that someone suffers from POI, other being cancer and the third I forget what the third is, forgive me. But, but so yes, I have autoimmune conditions um, that I was diagnosed with uh, right when I graduated university. Um, when I was 21, I was diagnosed with three autoimmune conditions within months of each other, actually. So the one I have that's most common is Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So my thyroid, uh, I have antibodies that are attacking my thyroid gland which is the most com- probably one of the more common ones, especially for women, actually. And that's specifically the autoimmune condition that they usually link with POI. Okay. Um, so I was, but I was suffering from like now when I look back on my like teens, teen years, even young teen years, there's definitely a lot of like red flags. Um, I was, uh, I injured myself when I was 14, I injured my neck and, and didn't heal properly. Uh, and, but in this kind of confusing way where, you know, technically speaking on an x-ray, everything looked good, but why was I in so much pain? And why did I, and I, you know, I remember people would say, Oh, Mallory won't want to go do that. She doesn't want to be outside a lot, or she's lazy. Or I started getting this sort of stigma of being like tired all the time the time. But really, that could have been connected to the POI or the Hashimoto's that I just wasn't diagnosed with yet. And so then being diagnosed with Hashimoto's and two other autoimmune conditions, that led me down the path of realizing, oh, I have to take care of myself in a way that no one else my age is doing. And I have to be also willing to spend a lot of money to take care of myself as well, which when you're 21, you have no money. So that became a really interesting journey through that through your 20s, which are these amazing, fun, explorative times. So it was, uh, it was definitely uh, a journey and a path that I had to figure out how to go down. So what a double whammy, right? Like you have the syndrome, you've had all these things in the past, and then you also find out that you're perimenopause. Was it peri or were you menopause? Yeah. yeah. No, no, Perry, Perry. Yeah, I still get a period. It's pretty different. Uh, every other month, there's definitely one ovary that is very low functioning because every other month is quite 
an interesting cycle. Um, it feels like a battle. That's how I describe it. It's a battle going on inside of me. Um, whereas the off the other the other month is usually it's still different. It's not the way my friends describe their cycles, but it's not as uh, as much of an experience. <laughs> yeah. So um, can you talk a little bit, you, you did touch on the dry urine test. What other steps, were there any other steps to sort of get you to this diagnosis uh, in terms of other tests or other health professionals that you needed to visit in order to really understand what this diagnosis was about and that in fact you did have POI? Mm-hmm. I actually never saw a gynecologist. I'm sure that some people would say, oh, you really, really should. But I've been... I respect all different types of medical professionals and the training they had. And I think that there is a time and a place for an MD and there's a time and a place for other healthcare professionals, including NDs, naturopathic doctors. When my naturopath diagnosed me with POI, it never crossed my mind to go and see an MD about it. And the one time I had to mention it actually to my GP, all I got was a complete, oh, well, you know, naturopaths like to diagnose you with lots of things, but not necessarily true. I'm like, wow. Well, (laughs) yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. I kind of look at like GPs as the, you know, where I take my kid when she's a stuffy nose. And even then I don't, let's be honest, I keep her home and take care of myself. Um, (laughs) Or when I need a referral or when I need to go get the flu shot. Like I unfortunately have lost a lot of respect for uh, GPs. Over, over the past decade, I haven't found them supportive. I have a lot of specialists I deal with for, my, for Hashimoto's. Obviously, I have an endocrinologist who I have a relationship with. But you've got to actually get the thing you want and get, sometimes get MDs to step outside of the bubble of training they've had and see if could benefit you. Definitely been uh, a process to figure out. And in terms of tests and stuff, so yeah, it was the Dutch test. And then I know that there were a bunch of blood tests that I did that in that instance, I went GP with my, this Dutch test, which she had never heard of. And I said, look, look at these numbers. Look at this. Here's the blood work that my naturopath would like you to order. Because if your GP orders it, it's free. It's covered by OHIP, right? Yeah. She said no to all of the tests. And so then I just called my naturopath literally as I'm walking out of the office and said, charge my credit card and send me the requisition so then I so I'd spent like five six hundred dollars on a Dutch test and then I had to go and spend like two hundred more dollars to order blood work that I could have had for free living in the wonderful province we live in mm-hmm. um, but I wasn't able to and I'm actually about to do another round of testing that I will pay for entirely on my own because my because yeah. unfortunately my GP doesn't respond to it. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Sounds like you need a new GP, first of all. <laughs> um, it's not, I mean, it's, I, it's I, so hard to get them. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we yeah. at Chi 2.0 are definitely, we're always looking for uh, the holistic remedies as well. I myself, being a cancer survivor, have incorporated holistic medicine into my lifestyle for, you know, mm-hmm. 10, 15 years. Um, so it is really yeah. important for me, but it's also important for me to have our listeners understand that there are medical professionals out there that can be supportive. I personally have had a wonderful team around me, my GP, who was, who has been amazing, even when I do holistic medicine, that she 
potentially doesn't understand. She does listen to my concerns and she mm. probably would have ordered me the blood work had I asked. Um, and same with like right. my cancer team. They were not happy when I was doing a lot of natural therapy during chemotherapy because mm-hmm. they felt like that that would be conflicting with what they were giving me. But right. but I said, I'm doing it. So let's just talk about how we can do it together. And they were really supportive. But not everybody is mm-hmm. like that. Um, I do want to fast forward a little bit now to, um, you know, when you've moved forward, you've, you've had a child, it, it, was it difficult conceiving for you? No, actually I was so lucky. It basically was the first try, (laughs) Um, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now knowing, knowing that like my numbers wouldn't have dropped in those three and a half years received to begin with. I'm just, I sometimes when I've spoken with other people about it, um, I sometimes feel guilty that it was so easy for me. Uh, just as so many women, it's not. I recognize that it would have been an incredibly difficult process. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, luck of the sperm, right? <laughs> like it just it worked that day. And that's amazing. And um, I'm so I'm also really lucky that I've only ever wanted one child. I, I think that's good, because I think I could be on quite a different path right now if I were struggling to have more children. And so getting the diagnosis at first, just like, oh, well, whatever, I don't care, because I don't want to have more kids. So who cares if my eggs aren't there anymore, or they're going away. But then obviously learning really what it means in the long term was when that emotional side set in. It's not so much about becoming infertile, because that isn't necessarily important to me. But by becoming infertile, that means so much. And that that's really where the, the meat of it is, right? Yeah, yeah. Could you dig a little deeper on that? Like, what, what does it mean to you to be infertile? Yeah. Um, I, had, I had a friend who could not conceive uh, and still hasn't, and she adopted. And I remember her describing it to me. And at the time, I hadn't yet been diagnosed, so I had no concept of what that would be like. And she said, it's like I'm not a woman because I can't do the one thing I'm supposed to do. And I remember so ignorantly just being like, oh, come on, there's like a thousand things you can do that men can't. I didn't say this to her. I just sat there and listened. But I'm thinking, I can't be like, I get that it sucks. There's a thousand ways to have a baby, a thousand ways. And now I have one, so lucky to have one. But now I can't have more. And I don't want to have more, but I can't have more. Like that, it's like someone just took something away from me. That sorry, that was mine. And and, and mm-hmm. that's what I get to do. And yeah, now it's, it's not, not your choice. Anymore. Yeah, like I didn't agree to not have one ovary that's definitely fighting and trying to stay alive. And and the you know, I didn't I didn't ask for that. And especially I think that the real kicker being diagnosed with that was was as the symptoms really started to kick in, which happened about six months after the diagnosis. It was very scary, actually. Uh, I had a lot of neurological symptoms that were really confusing, and they were concerned that I was developing MS, and I had to go through a bunch of testing for that, um, and that was terrifying. Um, But then after realizing I didn't have MS, thankfully, realizing how much of an impact um, your hormones play on everything. Yes. the thing I can't stand is I was a, 
my husband always says there's no such thing as multitasking, but we'll leave that alone. I am an <laughs> exceptional multitasker and I'm still probably better than the average person, but I know that I'm not as good as I used to be. And my brain just stops. It just will stop functioning and I'll just be standing yeah. there with seven things going, what was I doing? Yeah. Who yeah. was I talking to? Oh, I hate it. So it's definitely the nouns that go first. And I notice this, like, I notice it all the time. You just, you just can't summon up a simple word. And like the other day, my daughter was in the shower and I went to hand her a bath towel, but I kept saying I was impatient. I was trying to get out of the washroom to go do something. And I was like, here, grab your shirt, grab your shirt. She's like, I asked you for a towel. I'm like, it's right here. And then she said, <laughs> it's a towel. <laughs> like, oh my God, whatever. Tomato, potato, potato, it's a towel, take it. But yeah, you start to notice these little things that go and they're not big enough mm -hmm. for you to make an issue out of it or cause alarm, but just a simple conversation. Halfway through it, you forget where you are. Little games where you lose your glasses and you just put them down and five minutes later, you have no idea where they are. Same with your cell phone mm -hmm. and your car keys, you know? Yeah. yeah. And we talk a lot about how like, it, you know, it's one thing, I, the, the mental clarity thing, the memory, the cognition, that sort of thing is really freaks you out as a woman when you notice how much the hormone imbalances affect your brain. Oh, yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about you being in perimenopause and your day-to-day. -day. How, how has that affected your day-to-day, your -day, whether it be with your relationships, with like your partner, your child, people in your life, your, mm -hmm. your work? How's that, sure. how's that affected you? Um, it definitely does. Um, my mood swings for a while were predictable. They happened at certain points in my cycle. And so we actually, my husband and I, in our shared calendar, I would like put in ahead of time, the three days, we called them Mallory's bad days. And then we just knew, like he would just come out of my mouth that we're and then we wouldn't discuss it, right? But now they've started to become... Uh, not predictable. So that, that makes it, has it used to me be sick. Like he, he started dating me when I was 19. I mean, I've been sick and injured this mm -hmm. whole time. So when I get diagnosed with something new, we both usually, our initial reactions, like oh, well, something else, because it's just kind of normal for me. And then in turn for him, but for sure it's hard on him. I mean, I say incredibly hurtful things and I hear him out. And sometimes I feel this way. I take hours where I realize that what I said was horrible. Um, and I think, though, even because he's an adult who can rationalize what's happening, but I think that with my daughter, that's different. She just turned five a couple days ago. And so that has been a challenge getting her to understand that mommy didn't mean to be that mean um and getting her to understand that when mommy leaves the room because she doesn't want to be mean that you need to leave her alone and like we've tried different ways to explain it to her um and then one day I just sat her down and explained to her that I was sick and explained to her that my insides were sick um, and she asked me if I was going to die. And I said, no, not, not because of the sickness. You don't have to worry about that. But I explained to her how that makes me feel sometimes. That sometimes I'm so tired and I have to lay down. I just have to. Otherwise, uh -huh. I won't be able to be a good mommy. Or sometimes I say mean things or I get really angry really fast. And that's not your fault. That, that's me. That, that's, uh -huh. my, that's my fault. And so sometimes now if I react really sharply, 
um, she immediately assumes that it's because mommy's doing something wrong. But so then Andrew will usually step in and go, no, no, that's legitimate. Other times, or other times, Andrew will just touch me on the arm, which means leave. You need right. to leave. You shouldn't be around her right now. So leave. And that's difficult. Like I, yes, there would have been a point where she would have experienced me going through this, but she probably would have had her period and I could have, you know, that's you right. know, we could have bonded over what was yeah. happening and get her to understand that menopause is normal. It's going yes. to happen. And this isn't horrible. Shitty things happen when you're going through it for some women, for some women, not, they just wake mm -hmm. up one day and they're like, Oh, I don't have a period anymore. That was my mom. She just woke up and was like, huh, okay. Yeah. And she was done. Um, yeah. and, and you know, it's just difficult cause she's five. Like there's only so much you're yeah. going to explain. Um, and I talk to her pretty openly about a lot of stuff. Like she understands that I have a period. She walked in on that once. So we had to have a talk about that. Um, mm -hmm. you know, but she doesn't understand why or no, the importance of it, obviously. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then in terms of work, in terms of work, um, so I, I work part-time with a lawyer as his law clerk, and that was definitely, uh, <laughs> that, that has been, has been an issue. I feel bad for him. I had to just tell him like straight mm -hmm. up, he knew I had health issues and I just had to tell him this is happening. And, um, he was like, okay, uh, what do we need? And I said, you just need to like, when I snap at you, you just need to like, let it, it can't be held against me. That's what it comes mm, down yeah. to. And I'm very lucky because I work with one person, um, mm -hmm. who, un who knows a lot about me. And, mm -hmm. um, so I can imagine in other situations for women working in office settings or whatnot, where, you know, A, they might not open up and share what's going on, but B, even if they do, they might not get this, the empathy that they require or the understanding that when they, you know, snap at someone or miss a deadline because their brain is like in, you know, crazy mm -hmm. land because of mm -hmm. everything that's going on, that that, that there needs to be a little, you know, grace, a little understanding. And I'm lucky that I have that. Um, but it's definitely, it sucks for him. I feel bad for him. Sometimes yeah. I you know say things well, to him I wish I didn't say. So Mallory, I totally hear what you're saying. You know, it's really tough when you are having these, you know, um, hormone rages or whatever they're called, because it's hard to explain them. Like my daughter, the other day, we have a new puppy, um, and he is a biter and he's nippy and we're training him. But the other day I was just trying to do something. He was biting me, like hurting me and I couldn't get him off of me. And I yelled at him and put him outside. And then when I came in, I got like the stink eye from my nine year old who was saying, I'm mad at you because um, you should never get that mad at a puppy. You should never get that mad at a human. You should never get that mad at anybody. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to remind you of this when you get your first period. But she knows that my body's going through a change. And, and, but the problem is you bark at people so many times. It's just only so many times you can say sorry. And it starts to feel mm -hmm. really shitty. And I kind of get that shame for the rest of the day or the night because I did that. I like though how that Mallory has sort of like a, a, a system in place with her partner um, where, you know, you know, you have like these red flags where he kind of knows what's happening with you. He can tap you out. I think that's really 
an important dialogue to have with the people in your life around how we can support each other when we are um, struggling. And I think it's great that you guys have developed that plan with your daughter as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so that- it was it was difficult because because of her age and because of the the fact that this shouldn't be happening now and figuring out how to do that because she's at that pivotal, you know, I mean, she's still in those early developmental years emotionally as well. And she doesn't need her, she doesn't need to think that her mom, you know, is angry at her all the time. Right. So it's figuring out how to explain that, but not excuse it necessarily. Right. Absolutely. Mallory, how about, um, you know, like there's obviously the dynamic within your family that we all have to deal with and conversation and keeping the lines of communication open are really important. And I do like, like to Ramona's point that you literally have a safe word. Um, I'm going to try that. Um, but the other thing is like, because of your age and being so young, we find even with our audience, you know, with women in their forties and up, there's still a lack of understanding about perimenopause. And yet you're supposed to just sort of be all over this at your age. How, how do women in your age group handle this news about you? Like, how do they respond to that? What's that been like for you? It hasn't been positive. I'll be honest. Um, I mean, two of my best friends are right now trying to get pregnant, (laughs) right? Like they're trying to get pregnant and I'm ending that, right. I'm ending that, that part of my life. Um, and uh, yeah, when I first told friends, it was about six months after the diagnosis. So not this past Christmas, the Christmas before. And I was really dealing from a lot of, of symptoms. It was really messing me up. And I told three of my best friends at the same time. And it was very lackluster response. Like, it's not like I expected, you know, tears and oh my god you poor thing I didn't expect that but I think I expected like a like a bit of empathy um you know they had periods they they know that hormones suck sometimes like couldn't I have gotten that and one friend was particularly shocking in her response and I actually called her out on it and it it, it was just really ignorance just plain he said and when I called her out on it after the fact um since then she's probably one of the few people I actually vent to when I'm in a really bad place um and I and I reach out to her and share with her what it's like and she's become more so the go-to person and and I think you know the reason that is is because I had the nerve to call her out or, you know you sorry you were under supportive and kind of a bitch and and let's figure out yeah. how that's not going to happen again like understand that what's happening to me is not good not just that I'm going to go through menopause early probably complete it before I'm 40 but understand what going through menopause means long term you're at in, you're increased for heart disease for osteoporosis they're tying Alzheimer's to menopause now yeah. like do you understand that Uh, like, and I will have completed it so much earlier in my life journey. That actually makes me even more susceptible to these things. So do you get how big of a deal it is that this is happening to me? And once I painted that picture, you know, she actually, to her credit, went and did all this research and was like, oh my God, I learned this. And then I learned this. And did you know this? And I was like, no, I don't know that. Okay. And like, it became something that we talked about a lot. Um, and she's trying to have a baby now and we, you know, she talks about that and I talk about menopause and and that's okay. It's okay that it's different, but it really required, I think the right type of person who wanted to do the research and understand what their friend was going through. 
Um, most people, I think, are just used to me being chronically sick. And they just go, oh, it's just something else that Mallory has now. Um, but they don't understand the long-term side effects of what this could potentially do to my life. And also the longevity of my life, right? Um, so so, so that, that's been interesting. I think, again, just really just a lot of ignorance. This isn't something we're taught about. Right. No, absolutely not anything and that we're taught about. And this is sort of why Jackie and I started this podcast was because there are so many women that are struggling with gynecological issues that could result in early menopause that have no idea what symptoms they should be looking out for, um, what kind of support they need, what they're about to how much it can impact your life and mm -hmm. and understanding what's happening to your body and the things that you can do to help yourself is so important and I just feel like if the more women we educate about this the better off we're all going to be mm -hmm. um and that, in you terms know, of it, your sorry go ahead Jeff. oh I was just going to just quickly say and Mallory like given what Ramona is saying and what we witness and the lack of education we even get from our healthcare providers, it's totally natural that friends and your peers in your age group wouldn't understand it because it's not something we start talking to women about at your age and it's not something women talk about at our age. Exactly. And that was why, like when I get, you know, lackluster responses, I just sort of leave it. Like they don't, you know, there's a time and a place to, you know, get up on my soapbox and get them to understand what's going on. Um, but with most people, I just leave it alone. And I'm like, you know what, you'll, you'll learn one day. Yeah. When I get these lackluster responses from people, I mean, it's all stemming from ignorance. As we said, they're not being educated. And I, I just try to leave it alone. Like there's a time to get up on my soapbox and, and advocate and get them to understand that this is a big deal that I'm going through this. But a lot of times it's coming up in, you know, in, in conversation and you just leave it alone. And I recognize that one day they'll be calling me for advice. One more question for you about uh, your perimen, a little bit about your, your small business. Um, what have you been doing for yourself, like in terms of self-care, uh, managing your symptoms, whether it be medically or as we've talked about holistic therapies, what have you been doing to keep yourself well? Mm -hmm. So I work with a naturopath and I did try using bioidentical progesterone cream. I didn't find it impacted me in, in either direction. So after about six months, we stopped it. I take two supplements. Ugh. I should have brought them in so I'd remember the name. The first I know is Perilla and the second's Re Reservatrol or something like that. Yeah, um, I know that one. Yeah. Yeah. So they, uh, I know they help, uh, because I s ran out of them and was waiting for them to order and then started having, uh, symptoms at a time in my cycle when I don't normally. So they, they definitely seem to take a little bit of the edge off, but, uh, but that's it. I haven't a period still. Um, my naturopath doesn't really want me to go on any sort of hormone replacement because it could actually mess up what's happening naturally right now. Right. And I still have a period and that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but, and then in terms of taking care of my body, I mean, I'm, um, I'm chronically injured. I was injured in three different accidents actually. So I already see a chiropractor and a massage therapist and massage can be really great. Not just, we, a lot of times we associate it with 
physical injuries of some kind, right? Or relaxation. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it moves your lymphatic system and, and fluid and, and all, all the movement of good things, right? And that's actually good for women going through menopause because a lot of times we deal with fluid retention and whatnot. So I go for a massage every two weeks usually, so long as my massage therapist can fit me in. Um, and in terms of like mental self-care, um, I mean, I... I don't have a lot of people I can talk to about it because it's just not what's happening in my circle of friends, right? They they can try to be sympathetic, but I think they're never going to get to that empathy side of things. I speak with my husband about it and he is as empathetic as a man can be. Um, And (laughs) I, I mean, my, I sometimes speak with my mother about it. My mom, actually, she and my grandmother completed menopause just after turning 40, um, but had like no symptoms. So, I mean, she is as empathetic as she can be also, uh, not having experienced this part of the menopausal journey that I'm going through. Um, so I speak with her sometimes, but it is, it is a lonely thing to go through. I think specifically at this age, because I can't turn to my circle of girlfriends and, and get the level of support that I wish I could have. And that isn't because of them and them being lacking in any way. Like it's, it's not me throwing them under the bus. It's really just the period of life that we're all in. And mm-hmm. this isn't something that we should be having to talk about yet. Right. Like two of my friends are trying to have babies. Um, we're still there. We're still in the making babies, raising young babies phase of yeah. our lives. Yeah. You guys should um, be yeah. talking so, about yeah. how much your husband doesn't help you out. Not your failing like, over. We, we do. We do. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We talk about that. And they, and yeah, so I do have some female friends that are older and they're going through perimenopause. And so that has been nice. I found myself gravitating my whole life. I've always gravitated towards older people, people older than me. I just find them more interesting, <laughs> but now I'm really, I find seeking out women who are older than me because I, even if we don't talk about it, I, I just feel this connection to them. They are going through that phase of their life that I am. And, and that just makes me feel more calm, just having them around. Um, yeah, yeah, I but can it see is, why. It is, mm-hmm, but it is a lonely thing to go through. And, and having it coupled with my other autoimmune issues, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I say this and my mindset coach tells me I shouldn't say it, but I do say it. Cause I mean, it's true. My body is trying to kill me without my consent. Like I didn't mm-hmm. agree to this. I didn't yeah. agree for antibodies to attack different organs. Mm-hmm. I didn't agree for my ovaries to stop working when they're not supposed to, this is not okay. And you know, Jackie earlier, you said it's not so much about aging, but I, I actually, I view it as I'm aging too soon. This yeah. like I I'm seeing the physical effects of going through menopause. Um mm-hmm. and that is very jarring. Um the weight gain, the change in my hair, the change in my skin on my face. My face has changed a lot in the past year. Um and it's very it, it, yeah, it's a very lonely process to go through. And that's why I was so lucky when my friend connected me with your community and just knowing that I had a group of women I could talk to about this. Well, we're really glad you're part of our community. It's a really, you know, it's a different perspective and um, there is a lot of support here. So I hope that you will benefit from that. Thank Mm -hmm. you. 
Um, well, lastly, let's touch on your business, uh, Mallory. So you also have a side business um, and I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think your health journey has sort of been the catalyst for this new endeavor. So why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. Yeah, I would say that my health, um, yeah, one of the three pillars that definitely led me to creating Vive Planning. So uh, at Vive, we work collaboratively with families to help them plan for the aging and end of life process. So a lot of people use the term estate planning, right? You go and get your will, your power of attorney, you're maybe working with a financial advisor to make sure you can retire at a certain point, right? Live your life happily traveling between the cottage and your place in Florida, right? Your little stereotypical Canadian family. But I I try to look at it more so from the point of view of aging and end of life, not just estate planning. I think of your estate as this tangible thing. Let's, Let's make this more about the journey and the human experience. And with the average age in Canada of women being 89 and men being 86 for life expectancy, we're not financially, and I think even more so, socially prepared for the longevity of life. Um, Mm -hmm. And what that aging process could look like, because sure, you could get a disease that ends your life, um, whether prematurely or in your 80s, you could develop pancreatic cancer at age 85, and you pass away within six months of being diagnosed. But what's happening even more and more now is these 85 year olds are nowhere near the end of their life. (laughs) They've got 10 more years ahead of them. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean socially and the impact on their children who are now in their 60s caring for an aging parent. That's Mm -hmm. not something that we were socially prepared for. Mm -hmm. And so I work with families to look at that whole journey ahead. And yes, it does include end of life and what happens with your assets afterwards. But I try to really emphasize the collaborative nature of things. So when clients come to me, it's not just, you know, you and me, it's, you know, or me and the couple, right? It's, it's also, okay, do you have adult children? Let's talk about them. Oh, you don't have adult children. You have underage children. Well, let's talk about your siblings because they're going to be a support system if you were to pass away. And it, it, it's not just for people who are older. Like my target market is baby boomers. Yes. But when I meet with someone my age, I'm talking with them about what's going to happen if you die in the next 10 years, what's that going to look like? And what happens if you get a, an illness that, that changes your life trajectory? or what's that going to look like for you and your family and your spouse. So it's a very holistic, well-rounded view of planning. And for me, um, I mean, I come from a blended family. That was a big part of where V came from was seeing how my happy, respectful, blended family could very easily turn in the other direction. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, I worked as a litigation law clerk for a decade, and we specialized in estate litigation. So by the time I saw families, they were in a full on war. Uh And I wanted to find a way to avoid that. And then lastly, yeah, being sick. And even because the idea for the company came prior to being diagnosed with POI, but having chronic illness and understanding the long-term impact on your body, um, that, that has always had me be, you know, uh, it was that phrase where she's like an old soul, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I've always thought long-term for a very long time. What's my body mm-hmm. going to feel like when I'm 40, 50, 60. And then when I got this diagnosis and I'm like, okay, I'm go- I'm going to complete menopause before I'm 40, which is for average woman, maybe 10, but body mm-hmm. just decided to get old, like with, and, and, and way ahead of everybody else's. That's unfair. But I think it's given me a level of empathy when I sit down with 
um, people, you know, a couple in their 60s and they look at me and I look like the age of their children. And how can you take what I say seriously unless you understand that I get it. I get that right now. You can tell that you are progressing through an aging process now. And I understand that myself because believe it or not, I'm doing that as well. And so I think that's given me a, a just a different level of empathy and a different view on planning and making sure that families understand that this process could be fast or it could be very slow and there could be a lot of health issues to deal with and figuring out how to handle that as a family socially and financially is really important to do ahead of time and it's such a tough conversation and that's why I love yeah I you're tackling I couldn't it. agree more Mallory I mean I've faced my own illnesses um I've, I've faced my own health crisis in, in my life. And it's funny when you're ill, you don't really think about how it impacts the people around you a lot of the Mm -hmm. time because you're just trying to survive. Um, So I think we're similar in that way, but I also lost my dad uh, earlier than I had expected to. I mean, I was still a mother um, and that sort of thing, but it was like roughly uh, about 10 years ago now. And um, I was grateful that my parents had had sort of their things in order, but my mother Mm -hmm. became quite ill with dementia following my dad's passing and Mm -hmm. she's in a nursing home. And so there was a lot of stuff that needed to be organized Mm -hmm. that, you know, we weren't prepared for, but thankfully a lot of stuff was already in place. So after leaving advertising for a few years, I worked with a hospice foundation. And one of the biggest things that we talked about with families was making sure you open the dialogue with your families early on in your life to talk about what your wishes are when when your time comes and it's it's a conversation that rarely happens in families earlier on when it should Mm -hmm. when it's most important so that when it's your time to go there isn't these questions that are unanswered people are trying to figure out what you would have wanted and and in some cases as you mentioned with with arguing and and you know sort of unnecessary rivalry between families and that sort of thing. Um, And it's an important topic, you know, although it doesn't relate to menopause strictly, the time in our lives for many of us who experience menopause in a time frame where we're naturally supposed to, where we are taking care of family members, elderly parents and that sort of thing. So I think it's great that, that you've started this business to support families. And it's something that we should all be thinking about a lot earlier in our lives. Thanks, Ramona. Yeah. yeah. I I think that also going through menopause, I mean, at whatever age, it's it's an indication of a period of your life being done and you moving into a new period. And that's not to say that the next period won't be awesome, probably will be. But I think that it triggers, at least it did for me, and I'd be interested to see what you guys say, but it triggers a uh I'm moving into this next phase, which gets me one step closer to what the end phase might be sort of mentality. At least for me, I was like, well, does this mean I'm going to die earlier because this is happening so much earlier? And I understand that that's not necessarily the case now, but that was an instant thing in my head when I found out. So does this mean I will die early because I'm going through this process early? Um, And so I think it can be triggering menopause uh to think about oh my god i'm getting old and whatever that means right well and i think too that um you know people are afraid to talk about death and dying 
but Mm -hmm. it's truthfully the biggest gift that you can give your family is opening up that dialogue so that they understand what your wishes are and also Mm -hmm. to make sure that your own family is taken care of and if god forbid something were to happen earlier than you had it expected to have that planning in place for your loved ones is the biggest gift that you can give them definitely you know a lot of times Oh, sorry. sorry. Well, just listening to you, I'm just thinking by the time you're my age, you're going to be like the master of difficult conversations. (laughs) Because these really are tough conversations, right? Like menopause is a tough conversation even now and death and dying, Mm -hmm. as Ramona said, like we're all afraid to approach these topics. Definitely. And I think... I think a lot of times people think, A, because of my age and B, I talk very easily about these topics and when I talk about death with families I'm not flippant I'm just very like and if you get my you know if you get Alzheimer's you know how would you how would you like your family to care for you and people will look at me like how are you asking me that question so easily and I'm like well it's a legitimate question to ask you have a family history of Alzheimer's I'm gonna ask you this question and 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 really it's just if I make it seem normal then maybe which I think it is then maybe everyone else will start to understand that we can have these conversations it's not morbid to talk about the fact that you're going to die because you are going to die Mm -hmm. that's the one thing we can all count on happening and it's figuring out you know I knew that when I started Vive that I would spend a good portion of the first few years just trying to change a societal mindset that talking, that thinking about these topics yourself and then talking to your spouse, if you have one, and then talking to your loved ones, children, that that needs to become normal. But really it starts with hearing yourself say what you want. And I had mm-hmm. a really interesting couple I'm working with right now where they were shocked at the questions I asked. Um, they took them away to go think about them. And then I'll be honest, I was shocked at the, because no one had ever really asked them point blank a lot of uh-huh. things, brush it under a rug and refuse to acknowledge the questions. But I think they creep into your mind and it, and it makes you wonder what would I want if something were to happen to me? Um, it, it definitely has sparked an interesting conversation between my husband and I. I, I can't imagine a lot of couples our age have had the conversations he and I have. <laughs> For sure. Me too. Yeah. Um, So I have one last question and then we'll wrap it up. And thank you so much for your time today, Mallory. Of course. Um, Having been where you are now and the age that you are now and experiencing perimenopause when most aren't even thinking about it, what advice do you have for women who might be experiencing this or about to experience it? Hmm. Oh, man. I would say... (laughs) you know, the biggest thing for me has been to accept it. And when I say accept it, I don't mean like, oh, this is happening, whatever. I mean, accept that this is a part of my life journey right now. And for me, that was really key, I think, because of how young it's happening to me. But I think even if it happens to you when you're in your 50s, it's, it's a part of the experience you're going to have in the next five, 10 years. So you might as well lean into it. You might as well learn a lot about your body, about yourself, um, build a really amazing support system around you, which does include medical professionals of a variety of kinds and friends and family. Um, and, and know that eventually, you know, you, you will complete menopause, which, you know, great. And maybe you're still symptomatic after, maybe you're not, but it is just a part of a whole journey. 
and accepting that it's happening instead of fighting against it like I did in the beginning, it's not worth it. I swear it makes the symptoms feel worse. Just embrace when they happen, allow yourself to flow through the moment. And um, at the end of the day, you're still, you know, surrounded by people and things that you love and try to put your focus on that. I think that's great advice. It's very positive, but it's very practical. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, awesome. it's really, it's got to be hard for you, Mallory, to, to try to embrace this. It's, it's hard for me and Ramona, like, you know, it's just when your body stops take, starts taking options away from you, it is really hard to get your mind around that. Mm -hmm. No, it definitely is. It has been, it's not like it's, it's easy in that, but I think also having been sick as long as I have, that in a way helped, right? I mm -hmm. already had the mentality of being chronically ill. So when I first heard that my ovaries weren't working properly, I went, okay, well, that's just another organ that's not working properly. <laughs> Whatever, let's move on. I don't need them, right? I'm okay. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and that was when I was ignorant about what it meant long-term. But still, there are, there are obviously worse things that could be happening. And I'm lucky to be as healthy as I am. And, um, you know, it makes me, uh, a friend of mine says that, you know, that my illnesses are like an albatross around my neck, right? It's the weight that I bear, but I, and I, it is, but it has also made me a, an empathetic person and um, a person with uh, sometimes a lot of depth, really, right? Yeah. And an understanding of life in a different way that people in their thirties haven't figured out yet. Right. Absolutely. And one of the things that we've learned um, is that you, you can't just take information and advice from your doctor at face value. You really do have to advocate for your health. And that's oh, yeah. what led us to She 2.0. If, if we both, well, if I took the advice of my doctor, I'd just be going miserably through menopause. And, mm -hmm. you know, I found ways to optimize my body through it. And I feel so much better. And I'm really glad, you know, that we all keep digging and asking questions and not settling for mm -hmm. it is what it is because it isn't you know like with she 2.0 we always say menopause doesn't have to suck and it's true yeah oh for sure yeah moments are gonna suck but it, you shouldn't look back on those years as being these horrible years of your life that's not a positive mentality to have right yes absolutely absolutely mm -hmm. Mallory, thank you so much for joining us. I mean, it, it, I know it's got to be hard to talk about your story sometimes, but you seem super courageous and um, love that you've, you know, taken on the planning because, you know, that's a conversation like menopause. That's, that's inevitable. Menopause is inevitable if you're a woman. And, yeah. uh, and, you know, we really do want to open up these conversations and stop making them so difficult for people to have because that can lead to loneliness and menopause can be a lonely place anyway. So, so good for you for doing this. We're, um, we're super happy that you joined us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to hear everyone else that's on this next season. It's going to be a great season. Looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. You're part of a great lineup. We're really excited about season two. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Mallory. Thank you guys so much.